Hi, this is Super Vegan Brian, and this is Nerd Podcast Radio. Today's episode is all about tabletop RPGs. Today, Special Mikey was not present during recording due to emergency babysitting. It didn't stop us from having a fun episode about tabletop RPGs, which ones we have played, and a bunch of personal experiences with them. Let's start the show. Welcome to a nerd show. Nerd Podcast Radio. Welcome to Nerd Podcast Radio. I am obviously not Special Mikey. Um, this is Vegan Brian. Yeah, <laughs> this is Vegan Brian coming to you today. Michael is going to be joining us in a little bit. He couldn't start right away. And we also have Hindu Anthony. What's up, Buttercup? And he doesn't sound like he's talking into a shoe today. But actually, I am. You are talking. You got one of those high-def, sh- hi-fi shoes that lets you I, report. Yeah. Like, it's a really cool microphone. So I am talking to a shoe. It just happens to be better than the microphone I had. Hosting is <laughs> weird. It's weird being the one who's talking first. I'm like, what do I say next? And who? how do I ask questions? No. <laughs> Can I wait for you guys to tell me what to do? Yeah. Um, so today um, we are talking about tabletop RPGs on this call. Brian's specialty. Yeah, this is going to be a great a great call today. But first, um, we have to do our game, that special game that we do every week. What's nerdy with you? And this could be a little quicker than usual. There's only so, two of us. There's only two of us until Mike gets here. So what's your nerdy with you this week, Anthony? Okay, so this was a family thing. Me, the wife, and the baby, we watched not one, but two consecutive wrestling pay-per-views uh back to back uh we watched nxc takeover one day and then we watched wwe SummerSlam the next day that's pretty darn nerdy yeah we make it a whole family thing because we even get our baby into wrestling and he actually likes it like he sits there and he watches them fighting and he gets really excited and starts shaking and jumping whenever he sees them do stuff it reminds me of when i was a kid yeah and my wife is like really into wrestling, like really into wrestling. I don't know anyone that knows more about wrestling than her. Honest. We've been talking for a while about doing a wrestling episode, and I've been having we've I've been urging everyone to put it off because I'm just not up to date or know anything about wrestling, so I can actually have something to talk about on that episode. My wife's advice was, and I think I told you this in person or on or on Facebook, but not in the call. Watch NXT. That's that's the advice she gives everybody who wants to get into wrestling is you can pretty much ignore the WWE for the most part because their storylines are kind of bleh right now. And she says, watch NXT. They have really good storylines and really good talent coming up. NXD? XT. XT? XT? Yeah. That's like the one of the wrestling federations? Uh, Well, it's with WWE, but it's the developmental. So it's the people who are coming up to go. Uh, they're working on their skills to move up to the main roster. But since it has different writers and different people running it, it is, according to a lot of people, a better show. I'll have to check it out. I'm, I, my big experience with wrestling was watching the WWF before it changed to WWE when I was a kid. You know, Hulkamania and the, and the cartoon. I watched the cartoon every Saturday. Oh, wow. You, it sounds like you missed the whole Attitude Era and everything. <laughs> 
I missed when Hulk Hogan turned into a bad guy. Yeah, you missed the Attitude Era. I think a lot of people, especially of the recent generation, really liked wrestling was the Attitude Era. That's when they got a little edgy and and went from less of a kid show and more to like a adults can like the show too. Now they're back to it's for kids. Not to get too down the rabbit hole about um, wrestling, but I, I know a big nerdy wrestling intersect. When I was a little kid, I got to meet Captain Lou Albano. The wrestler and the guy who did the who did the Super Mario show and he played Mario in the live action part of it. Oh, yeah. OK. OK. I know who you're talking about. Had rubber bands in his ears. Yeah. Um, my nerdy thing this week was um, I watched the first two discs of the Supernatural anime series. So I intersected <laughs> um, Supernatural with anime and I was very happily surprised <laughs> with how good it is. Was it good? It's really good. It, How's the animation quality? The animation is really that good. Matters a lot. It's done by Madhouse, the same group that did Death Note. Oh, that was a good anime. So it's um, the voice of Sam is Jensen Ackles, just like uh, Jared pa- pa- Padalecki. Oh, my God. What a mistake to make. Uh, the voice <laughs> of Sam is Jared Padalecki, just like the show. And the voice of Dean is someone else mm, until okay. the last two episodes. They had a little scheduling issue. So Jensen Wait. Ackles does do Dean in the last two episodes. But um, that he doesn't. So you got to get used to the voice change thing. It, it took it took an episode. It took an episode to get used to it. It was a little weird at first. Mm, OK. And uh, it it's episodes during season one and two of the show. Some of them are direct remakes of episodes and some of them are original. All of them are really good. It, it, it's a neat thing to watch. I've been hooked on it. I is it wait. an entirely different thing? Is it a spinoff? Is it contingent on the current show? It's it it's non-canonical. Okay, um, but it is it goes along with season one and two. It's the same plot. Except, so it's like same universe, same story, but yeah. like maybe side stuff that they showed in the show. Well, that and um, some of the episodes, like if there's a direct remake episodes, there might be twists. Oh. Uh, also, each episode's only a half hour long, so you don't even notice. it. They, they structure them perfectly to make them a half hour long. That's pretty cool. There's I, I also like they take advantage of it being an anime. So there's an underwater fight scene. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, there's a fight scene in the traffic of a freeway. Yeah, they do things because it's animated that you pro- that may be difficult to do on the show. And the demons are a lot scarier. Ooh, that's that's awesome. Because they'll do things like make the head turn all the way around and stuff like that. That would be expensive to do on the show. Would it really be that expensive with CGI? Yeah, the CGI is really expensive. They don't, I don't use know how a lot expensive. of CGI on Supernatural. I don't know how expensive CGI is. I've noticed that, though. I have noticed that they do kind of go with the more old school kind of way of doing things, which is what I think gives it its campy that I really appreciate, to be honest. Well, they do two things on Supernatural to keep the budget down. One, they will keep the monster off screen. Yeah. And the big gory thing off screen most of the time. And two, they'll um, have the monster be in the form of a human. Mm. So like even when they did the dragon episode on Supernatural, the dragons take forms of humans, yeah. And when they turn into a dragon, you only it's only off screen. You only see the reactions to people seeing it. You don't actually see the monster. Which really, I mean, when you think about it, adds to a certain fear. Like when you think about old school scary movies and why a lot of times people find them to be a better quality fear-wise, 
to be perfectly honest, the, the, I think personally the main thing is it was that whole we didn't show, we told. Like it's the uh, it's the tell, don't show. And yeah, it's like old school horror where you just ha- saw the reactions to the monster. It's like people standing on stage and looking in shock at the cosmic horror off stage. Yeah, and you're sitting there wondering like, man, what does this look like? And you, your imagination runs wild and you create all these like crazy ideas of what this thing looks like and you create the fear in yourself. So that brings us right into our topic, into tabletop RPGs, which has a lot to do with <laughs> stage plays and how a lot of that works and um, how it's the thing you imagine versus the thing you actually see, because that's one thing that really comes up in tabletop RPGs a lot. It's because the monster is in the head of the people that are playing and they see it from their own perspective. So see, Brian, you can hose. Check that out. You made a good old segue out of nothing. It's not as good as Michael. <laughs> I miss him already. I'm already exhausted from from all this hosting. Yeah, um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible already. I skipped deciding who won because, you know, it's only two of us. So I'm going to let Michael choose when he finally joins us. So Michael will choose who wins when he finally joins us. Yeah, so, we'll just catch him up real quick. So tabletop RPGs. Um, what exactly is a tabletop RPG, Anthony? Why you ask me? You're the professional. Fine, I'll answer then. Uh, tabletop RPG. So it's this idea of you generally are sitting at a table, though not always, because there are the internet ones, where you fill out a character sheet of of a sort, and depending on the rules of the game, whichever one that is, like D and D, Pathfinder, Firefly, Star Wars, and you role play said character. In your mind, you play as them, and you speak as them, and you act like them, and you try to be that person for the time being of the play session. And all the actions, oh. all the actions are being done via dice rolls. If there's any more to add? I'm sure Brian was knows nicely a lot more said. than I do. That was nicely said. Um, please excuse the phone ringing. We have our phone on, so we can um, we can hear when Michael pops on michael's babysitting so um unexpected babysitting so we have a little delay until he shows up yeah well yeah you said it right you have um one person who's running the game called a game master or in the case of dungeons and dragons a dungeon master i forgot the dungeon master part and um well you always mention that i'm the pro rpg (laughs) player so um let me explain that a little bit. Um, I was seriously involved in coordination for the Pathfinder RPG, um, setting up games at stores so people could play at stores and at conventions. Um, so I've been at this a long time. My experience with RPGs goes back to when I was 12 years old, and I started with Dungeons & Dragons. But over the years, I have played all sorts of games, including the Palladium RPG, Rifts, um, Ninjas and Super Spies, which are all Palladium games, um, Deadlands, the um, Serenity role-playing game, um, and now Pathfinder, which is really all I play, and soon in the future, Starfinder. Oh, and I forgot Star Wars. I played that, too. I've played Let's both say, versions you did of play Star Wars, right? And yeah. Twilight 2000. There's a lot of games I've played over the years. Um, there's just so many role-playing games out there. If you want to play in a TV universe like leverage or smallville or um firefly there is a game to be in that world and play that game there's a doctor who role-playing game what yeah there's it's a big one that's been around for a long time 
Is there a is there a supernatural one? There is. It's actually done by the same people who do um, the Serenity one. So Supernatural does have a tabletop RPG. That sounds like something we should do one day, Brian. It's a lot of fun. Actually, um, our um, musician and audio technician, Daniel Cross, and soon-to-be occasional co-host, who will be on the show very <laughs> soon, um, he, he, he ran it for me. How'd he he's go? Prob- was it, he's was probably it the biggest Supernatural fan I know. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. He did a good job. It was the first time he ever ran a role-playing game, and he did great. It, it's amazing how you can jump into running a game and get good at it really quick when you're using a medium you understand, like a show you're a big fan of. That's the thing I've never done is DM'd. I wanted to try to DM a super, uh, not Supernatural. I wanted to try DM a, uh, um, what's it called? Oh, man, why am I? Paizo. Um, Pathfinder? Pathfinder. You can't forget the Pathfinder role-playing game. I know. I played it f- for so long with you. <laughs> so a quick history of RPGs. So Dungeons & Dragons was basically the first one. And then it's got all these additions over the years. And then they do this version called 3.5, which a lot of people liked. And a lot of people liked. <laughs> people still play it. It was great. It's still great. And when it ended, when, when they decided... Um, the company that had um, D&D, which was Wizards of the Coast, decided they needed a new version. They made 4th edition, which was completely different from 3.5. But they did it when... did not like it. <laughs> well, they did it when 3.5 was still popular. They pushed for a new edition when people were still playing the old game. They didn't wait for a lull. So people were rejected it and were playing 3.5. And Paizo, a company that was publishing Dragon Magazine, which was a magazine that supported Dungeons & Dragons... And we're doing these event published adventures called Adventure Pass in the with the D&D system decided we're going to make a game called Pathfinder, which is 3.5, but adjusted to be what would we have wanted if it became fourth edition. So it's sort of 3.75 of Dungeons and Dragons. And Pathfinder is like the number one role playing game on the market. I think they got some competition since Dungeons and Dragons came out with fifth edition. But I don't play 5th edition. I've been sticking to Pathfinder for a long time. I run a home game every week. I have played 5th How is it? I really like it, actually. They really went back to form and did a really good job, actually. Like, it is good. You would probably enjoy it, to be honest. Uh, they it, do add some new systems to it that might be unfamiliar to you, uh, to maybe, like, veteran players. But not bad systems. Any, th- any examples? Um, okay, so, you know, a lot of times... Like if you're in combat, there's a lot of plus plus uh, like pluses and minuses. Like uh, I'm swinging with a power attack two handed. That's going to be like a plus. What's that going to be like a plus two? And then, you know, you're adding your strengths and all that stuff. And oh, oh, and we're also we're we're um, we're flanking the person. So that's a plus one. Yeah. Um, so there's still the pluses based on your stats, but most of the other excess stuff of the, oh, you're flanking, or oh, you're attacking from high ground, or oh, you're attacking from unseen areas, or oh, you're attacking because you're stealth, so you get plus here, plus there, plus there. They um, added a system of whether or not you have advantage or disadvantage. You're flanking. You have advantage. When you roll to attack, you roll two dice, pick the higher number. You're at disadvantage. When you're rolling to defend, you roll two dice, pick the lower number. I like that system. So I think I would enjoy that game. Very streamlined and very helpful for people who if if you are thinking of possibly getting into tabletop RPGs, and you've never done it before. 
I suggest D&D 5.0. It simplified things to a point that it's still fun, so entertaining, can still be very difficult, but you're not going to be bombarded with just math that requires a calculator. No, you should so, still have a calculator. So if you want to get into tabletop RPGs, D&D 5.0 is probably the good way to do it because I, I can attest, Pathfinder is a complicated game. Oh, yeah. Like I was just saying, like that thing I was just mentioning, that was pretty – that was a simple thing. Like power swinging with a sword two-handed while flanking someone is a pretty simple tactic and there was already so much math involved in just that. <laughs> it can only get harder. It reminds me of a story. I was playing D&D with some friends years ago and um, one of my friends decided to bring their nephew – and he had never played the game before. He was like 11. And he was sitting and watching us play for about four hours. And oh, wow. he spoke up in the middle of the game and just goes, is all this game just killing goblins and doing math? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. And we were rolling. We were like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's exactly what it is when you really break it down. It's you roll dice to kill goblins and you do a lot of math. A lot of math. So for me, getting into tabletop RPGs was when I was 12, I met some friends who were like, we have this game Dungeons and Dragons. You want to come over and play it? And I fell in love. Um, this was we were playing without miniatures, so it was all made up in our head. Um, Ooh, there's different. a monster shows up and fight the monster. Actually, that's what RPGs pretty much were. Yeah, I, that's how they started. But yeah. Like Nowadays, like, oh, man, that'd be really that'd be hard to do because I'd have a hard time now, I think, doing that. So it's just to get a mental picture. There's four of us sitting around a table and um, our GM is like a monster shows up. What do you do? And I'm trying to learn how to play the game. And I immediately fall in love. I just think this is great. It's like an interactive story. And I just love the ability to use my imagination and come up with solutions to things. And over the years... I just ate it up, tried all sorts of different games. And then um, when I got into Pathfinder, I started getting into the conventions and playing there and finding out a whole about a whole new culture. So I am all about it. It's my main nerdy thing is tabletop role playing games in the Pathfinder RPG. As of now, I'm running a home game every Friday online with a, a few of my closest friends and it's what I look forward to doing every week. What well, about you, Anthony? What are your experiences with tabletop RPGs? Okay, so my first experience with tabletop RPGs, oddly enough, started earlier than yours. Um, when I was probably like five or six, my parents were really big in D&D. So yeah, my parents were uh, they were pretty big into it. I think they started around either edition one or two. And I remember being, you know, a little kid, five or six, and... Um, they would play with their friends, and I was just this little kid, just like watching them play. I try to, I try to get at the table, try to grab the dice and play with them. So that was kind of my first run in when D and D was watching my parents play D and D when I was just a wee little lad. Second edition is what I started with. Really? Yeah. That it, I have to say, second edition. You had mentioned you can't imagine playing without miniatures. That I don't think they had them either. In the original second edition, there weren't real clear-cut rules for miniatures unless you got the miniature game which i think was called battle system really and it was mostly res it was mostly revolved around um mass combat like using the D, D rules as a war game oh okay then they did like a 
they did like a rule update for second edition and that included um, squares on a battle mat and how characters interacted with each other on squares. And then when third edition finally came out, all the movement rules were based around squares and being on a battle mat. And I remember when that first happened, we were real caught off guard by it and we were we didn't have miniatures or battle mats or know how to do any of that. So we did everything on graph paper. Oh, oh yeah. They already, the first time doing it was all on graph paper. Yeah, it was, that was how we worked out things like flanking and the different like mechanics of combat that were really hard to do within your own head. Where, yeah. Um, I could imagine that would be yeah, like previously you would just say, I sneak up behind them and you all picture in your head, you're sneaking up behind them and don't really worry about the space. And then when you had a mat with like a with like an actual room on it, you had to know where behind him was. Yeah. And so that's why they started. That's why you guys had to actually like use paper and models and all that. Sounds like it'd be fun. So the first time I actually played, though, was probably when I was like 13. Uh, my dad, uh, I wanted to play and, you know, I told him, hey, I want to I want to try it. Uh, so did my sister. So he kind of set up like a little mini game for us where we each made a character and we just like played like a like, I don't know, just like a little mini mission that we just sat there and played with our dad for a few hours. I, I made a sorcerer. And I think my sister was a warrior. And that was my first actual game was with my dad and my sister. That was entertaining. Oh, that's cool. My first character was a fighter mage thief. Fighter Mage Thief? Yeah, in the old editions, in like 2nd edition AD&D, mm-hmm. if you were playing a multi-class, you started out as the multi-class. Oh, you didn't work on up to it? You just kind of like... Yeah, like in all... newer editions of the game, you play one level of fighter, then one level of mage, and then one level of rogue or thief. In the old editions, you would just start as a Fighter Mage Thief, and you got experience slower than the rest of the characters. Oh, okay, but you leveled up each part of your multi-class leveled up along with you at the same time so you'd be a second level fighter mage thief or a third level fighter mage thief where in newer versions of games you could be a first level fighter a second level thief and a tenth level mage over time but when it originally started multi-classing was all of like one thing where you played a fighter mage thief or a fighter mage or a fighter thief yeah that could get um kind of broken (laughs) I also remember in all editions of the games, it was it was restricted by race. So like humans couldn't play multi-class at all. Really? Mm-hmm. This was in Dungeons and Dragons. I know I, I know it's different mm. for other games, but yeah, um, it there were crazy race restrictions. I think the only benefit of playing a human is that you didn't have a level cap, where other races had level caps on what they could play. That's weird. Like when you reached a certain level, it started taking more XP to go up in level or or eventually you'd just have to stop going up in level and you couldn't go into the higher levels. Oh, oh, wow. But humans just didn't have that cap. So humans at the time were then kind of like not a great race, unlike now where human tends to be the more of the popular, better race in most RPGs. Well, first edition also had a rule called dual class, which is, I think, where the modern multi-classing came from, where if you were playing a human... You could play like seven levels of rogue and then start over and start working on fighter. Oh, and then you've got benefits when your fighter level passed your rogue level. I mean, we call the older system simpler, but they were complicated, Mm -hmm. too. I 
my big memory of older versions of Dungeons and Dragons was Thakio. Have you ever Thakio. heard that term? No. Thakio. Or Thaco, as some people pronounce it. It stands for two hit armor class zero. You had to do a calculation every time you attack someone to see if mm. you hit because it wasn't just roll a d20, get over their armor class and hit. It was math every time. Oh, wow. So it was... The, yeah, the lower your Thakio, the better, and the lower your armor class, the better. I remember someone saying that in the older editions, you wanted a lower number. Yeah, there was a lot of that. It was it was much more complicated. They they streamlined it a lot with the D20 system that came out in Dungeons & Dragons 3.5. Uh, speaking of the D20 system, have you ever played Star Wars? Yeah, I have, actually. Um, with a friend of ours, he was DMing it. Uh, me and Michael actually played it together. We were in the campaign together. Tell me a little bit about it. Uh, I played as a Kushiban. Uh, a lot of people probably don't know what that is. They're probably like, uh, that's nothing I, I don't heard know of what that is. is. What uh, is imagine, imagine like a, a small little furry um, bunny squirrel critter. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'm imagining it. And we were Jedis, obviously. Uh, but I had this grand plan to become a Sith. I was like, I want to be the evil bunny. I, I'm I'm dead fucking serious. I think ever I was like, oh my god, I think bunny monster be great. I can't even imagine that story. The evil bunny in Star Wars. Uh, you know what's funny is there in some of the books, uh, Kushibin, a uh, Jedi Kushibin was mentioned. That's no longer canon though, so I don't know if that race even exists technically because Star Wars and Disneyland things got weird. This is the best quote about Star Wars ever. Star Wars Disneyland. Things got weird. <laughs> that was um, that was a a fun campaign. I think the worst part of it was when I went to go swing at someone and I critically failed. And in the Star Wars one, there there's a like a there's a critical fail system where if you roll a one, you have to roll something else to see like what happens. Um, not all RPGs, uh, tabletop RPGs, have a critical fail system, but Star Wars does, as far as I remember. That's how our DM did it. Oh, they, uh, they, they, it's a pretty common either system that's built into the game or a house rule. You'll see critical fails all the time. Yeah, so I rolled a one and an attack roll, and I was like, oh, no. And he's like, okay, so roll a d20, see what happens. I rolled another one. That's extremely oh, that's rare. So and did so, you just um, die? No, no. Our DM had a giant dice, a giant body part dice. And he was like, I'm going to roll on the body part dice and see what happens. And so he rolled on it and it was like right arm. And I was like, what? What does that mean? He's like, you chop off your right arm with your lightsaber. I was like, but my character's right handed. He's like, yeah. I'm like, how does that make any fucking sense? We don't know. Well, you like spin the lightsaber with your right arm. You like spin it and it spins around and gets you in the shoulder. But since it's a lightsaber, it goes through it like it's nothing. Yeah. So the way we imagined it was like I went to go stab and then like do like a flurry up and then it came back and then I like slipped and then went down and chopped off my arm from my shoulder. Oh, that's terrible. And uh, I mean, it's a lightsaber, so everything was all cauterized and stuff. And they also obviously made jokes about, you know, like the one armed bunny smell of burnt fur. Um, I ended up having to get a. My character ended up having to get a prosthetic arm installed. So like a cool robot arm like Luke Skywalker got? Yeah, in the like movie? Luke Skywalker. Um, and then I even paid some extra like credits to have a 
to have like a device put into it to where I could um, spring load my lightsaber out of my my arm. So my prosthetic arm actually became kind of useful. A saber in my arm and go. <laughs> arm bunny. Um, so there was one thing about that that really annoyed me, though, is the DM didn't really um, explain the the system of going dark side very well to us. So I started getting dark side points because I was like, I'm going to be all of a sudden out of nowhere. He's like, how much wisdom do you have? And I told him, he's like, roll d20. And I was like, OK, so I rolled. He's like, OK, nothing happens. I was like, what what, what was that for? And he's like, oh, well, if your dark side points reaches above a certain point and you have to roll and you fill the roll, you turn on your allies. And I was like, what the fuck? Was like, this would have been really nice to know the first time I got dark side points. But no, I don't remember that from the Star Wars system. That sounds like something your GM just added. Maybe. And so he was like, yep, if if you continue to get dark side points sooner or later, you're just going to turn on your party because, you know, they're they're all Jedi's. And I was like, what what the fuck? Yeah, that kind of ruins your concept because you wanted to play an evil Sith type character. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. I mean, personally, to me, that's not like the GM was kind of like, I don't want you to be a bad guy. So I'm going to come up with a reason why you why you shouldn't be a bad guy. <laughs> so you did like the fantasy fulfillment with Star Wars when you were like, I've always liked the dark side characters on the show and the comics and the books. So I want to play a dark side character and I'm going to put a twist on it and play a bunny. Basically, I thought the idea of being an evil bunny was extremely entertaining. My Star Wars experience was I had a whole different idea. I was like, I'm going to use my strengths. So I played a technician and played the mm-hmm. IT guy. I ruled at Star Wars. It was great. We were, uh, I mean, anything we ran into, I was just like, I try to hack it. The, the, the giant system, blob. I try to hack the blob. Oh, the system for technology worked so well and everything had a computer. I mean, it was like the, the terrorists seal the blast door. All right, I'm going to tap into the blast door and try to open the blast door. It doesn't open. All right, I'm going to use the droid as an interface. And it was it was just it so played into my strengths being that I've been an IT guy. So I got to be an IT guy in the Star Wars universe, and it was fantastic. I had no force powers, had no desire to have force powers. So Brian role played as Brian in Star Wars. <laughs> oh, I was I was an alien. I wasn't a human, so I got to do that a little bit. I see. I'm not real familiar with the different types of aliens. I was playing um, the same type of alien that Darth Maul is. Uh, as a Brack. Yeah, I was one of those. We had a we had a Jedi in the group. Um, it's one of those aliens with the big tall head with the two brains. Uh, the, the tentacles in the head? No, no tentacles. Just a big, tall, like, cone head. Don't know. Um, I don't remember what they're called. Maybe someone yeah. can Drawing go into blank. the Facebook page and tell us. Um, but that was actually, I think the player who played that listens to this podcast. Leonard listens to this podcast. So, Leonard, if you're listening, post to the Facebook page and let us know what you played <laughs> in that. It was so much fun. Uh, my brother ran the game, and um, we had a blast with it. It was just so cool to be able to be in the Star Wars universe. We were serving the Empire. Oh, so you guys were bad guys. Not really. Oh, oh, yeah, that's true. Not everyone in the Empire is bad. Just the Empire yeah. itself isn't good. We were we were working for the Empire, and you know, as far as we were concerned, we were hunting revolutionaries. We were hunting rebels. We didn't. It never really. It was it was really well done. It never really came up as us being the bad guys. Because we never encountered the evil of the Empire. We never, we didn't know about the Emperor or Darth Vader. And we just knew that the Emperor was the government and we, the Empire was the government and we worked for it. We were making money. 
it was like that good old conversation from uh, clerks of, you know, what about the pe- what about the people on the Death Star that weren't bad guys, you know, like the janitors and the the office people. You know, what 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 about them cuz they're not bad. I'm going to go a little off topic since we're talking about Star Wars. I got something I want to share with you. Mm-hmm. So, um Return of the Jedi, you got the Ewoks, right? Mm-hmm. So, our first encounter with the Ewoks is the group gets caught in the net and what are the Ewoks going to do with them? Nets or the people in the net? The people in them. What were they going to do with Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and all them? I heard they were going to eat them. They were. They were going to eat them. They, they had a big soup pot and they were they were had them tied to a rope and they were all getting ready to eat them. And then um, C-3PO turned into their golden god and they were like, ooh, and then they let him go and everything was fine. But they were yeah. going to eat them. So my thing is that at the end of Jedi, you mm. got Ewoks playing on bongo drums made out of stor- tro- stormtrooper helmets. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard this before. The like, Ewoks ate the, the stormtroopers. <laughs> and, you know, probably since the Ewoks were serving a feast, Luke and Han and all them ate the stormtroopers, too. Because um, they were all part of that party. Hmm. That's a side of the story. That's a side of it I didn't know. Oh, man. Yeah. Old school Star Wars had cannibalism. New school Star Wars is Disneyland. <laughs> I don't know which evil is worse. Things got weird. <laughs> so... You and I, we we supposedly met at a party, but I remember we met playing at Mike's Serenity RPG game. Yes. Um, what did you play in that game? I don't remember. We were playing. That was the role playing game based on the Firefly universe. On oh, the, the you Firefly don't remember me? What did you play? You, I think I remember you being crazy. I'm, I'm always crazy. <laughs> um, I was the male companion. Um, for people unfamiliar with the Serenity universe, the companion is basically the the legal prostitute. I was a prostitute. Um, I was actually one of the like considered to be one of the only like early adopters of the male companion. I, Any I was, moments I was that really stick out with your character? Oh yes, oh yes. I have a favorite moment from that from from that campaign. There, there was this time when we were talking to this dude that we had just completed a mission for, and he was trying to jip us on money. And the companion is the charisma base. The one, they're like the bard. They're the one that comes in and they they do the talking. So to paint a picture of this character, he's uh he was like a very domineering kind of dominatrix. You know, he's not a dominatrix at all. Char- character. His weapon was a whip, a lot of leather, a lot of chains. That whole look. Very sadist masochist. So I go to the guy who's trying to jip us on the money, and I, I'm telling him, like, you you owe us more. We had a deal, blah, blah, blah. Fuck you. And he decides that he's going to turn his cronies on me, and he has them point their guns at me. Character sits there and just looks at them and goes, I am a, com- a legal companion of the Companions Guild. One of the few male companion, one of the few male companions know, uh, to start in the Companion Guild. I am known across the world, I'm known across the known galaxy to plenty of rich, wealthy people. If I go missing, people will know you all will die very slow, painful deaths. <laughs> oh, that sounds like may a hero I, May I suggest you rethink these turn of events? And so this game has like these um, these tokens that you can use to increase your rolls, and I use a few to like just like fucking just overload on the rolls. Um, I not only like just rolled so well and just 
did such a good job and Michael kind of gave me extra bonus points for just having such a good speech. He had the the cronies basically turn their guns on the guy and go, yeah, we're with him now. Oh, that's that, funny. That was I like that moment. That was a fun moment. I remember when that happened. Were you there at the time? I think I was. One of the things about that game that was neat was there was a lot of times where scenes involved characters and other people just sat and watched. And yeah. none of us had any trouble just sitting and watching because every scene was entertaining. Because we were playing with, like, what, eight people? Yeah, there was a lot of people in that campaign. It was insane. I've Anthony never been just, in a game with that much Michael, people. Michael just invited, like, everyone he knew. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, go ahead, come in. I know we already got, like, seven, but it's cool. We'll add an eighth. Do you remember my character? Uh, I remember he was the doctor. No, I wasn't the doctor. I thought you were the doctor. No, that wasn't me. What? I think I think Meth was playing the doctor. Oh, no, he wasn't. I, now I don't remember who was playing the doctor, but I wasn't. The <laughs> no, he was the crazy character. I was Oz, Oswin Dale, and I showed I bamboozled the entire group. I showed up and I was this really nerdy mathematical character. And I showed up and like, I'm Oz. Hi. Hi, everybody. And just <laughs> talk in this nasally voice. And I was the navigator on the ship. I hired myself. I got hired on as a navigator and I played that for the entire time we were playing. And then after like 10 sessions of just this nerdy character who was barely involved in events, who was a hemophiliac and just was pretty content to just navigate the ship yeah, and avoid combat. I remember anytime combat sprang up, you're like, I'm going to stay back here. Um, what what ended up what what? No one knew what only Michael knew because he was running the game was that I had everything into espionage and the the actual character was very different from that nerdy persona. The nerdy persona was just a thing I came up with. I based it on Michael Weston and Burn Notice and it was like this long cover of being this nerdy technician character and he was really good at math and he could navigate a ship and that was his main cover. Mm. Um, But his whole thing was is he was uh, during the war – he was a brown coat who was in deep cover in the Alliance as an Alliance intelligence officer. And after the oh. um, after the war, his ship was taken down and he was kind of lost in an escape pod and went a little batshit from being in the escape pod for so long before he was finally picked up. He just stayed in this cover trying to get his ground, trying to figure out what was going on. So when... We were playing the game. The party was doing the, the the ship's crew. I keep saying party. I think other role-playing games, but in Serenity, it's a ship's crew. Mm. The ship's crew was going to a party to try to get information about people who were involved in the resistance against the Alliance. And there was this big noble who was a big crime person who was there at the party. And I remembered Mike had told me that that particular person had intelligence that I had to get. So the whole group went off to join the party and do the thing they were going to do. And I stayed in the ship and put a disguise on. I like bleached my hair and put a waiter's outfit on and went to the party. Yeah, I I went to the party. So we were playing with two guys who were playing like the heavies of the group. And they went off on their own at this party to try to get the stuff from the boss. And they were not the people that should have done this. They got stopped by guards and really didn't know what to do. They were probably just going to shoot them. Yeah. And I showed up in my waiter's outfit 
And I didn't really have hemophilia. I was taking medicine to make that happen. And I had taken all my medicine and dumped it into a platter of drinks. And I showed up. They couldn't recognize me because I was in disguise. The guards they were talking to, I show up and interrupt the whole thing. The guards they were talking to take my drinks and drink them. And I'm like, they're for the boss. And they're like, give me those. And they drink the drinks. And all of a sudden, they're, they bleed out of every orifice in their faces and just die in front of them. And I just look I at the guys. That. I look at the guys and go, quick, help me get them into an incinerator. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. My, my character, I think, was having sex with one of the noblemen. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting information the old-fashioned way. It was fun because nobody in the group knew, so when I did it, it was a big shock to everybody. <laughs> yeah. And it kind of made me think it would be like one of those things that would happen on the show. Like you'd go, Joss Whedon does that thing where you go through a whole season of thinking a character is one way and then they're a whole different way the next season. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like the payoff comes up and, and it's just, wow, I didn't see that coming. That was, woo, you did it again, Joss. Uh, are we ever going to not love up on Joss? I don't think. No, no. I'm looking forward to his, I'm looking forward to what he does next. I heard yeah. a rumor that he was, he was thinking about taking on the Black Widow movie. That would be cool. I don't think it'll happen. I don't I don't know if the Black Widow movie will ever happen. I just hope he avoids Fox forever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, he had two experiences with Fox. We had Firefly and Dollhouse. I couldn't believe he went back. They have not been kind to him. <laughs> so what are we talking about now? We got, um, let's see, I got notes here. The ones that Michael was originally going to be running. Hosting is hard, Anthony. <laughs> it sounds like it. I wish he was here. So, um, do you play any other games? There is Pathfinder, is Dean, then there's a Star Wars. Well, um, my favorite is Pathfinder, so I'm going to make an executive decision. And um, what what are what are some of your experiences with Pathfinder? Well, <laughs> my experiences with Pathfinder are with you. Actually. I know, I know. Uh, I brought it up because it's easy for us to talk about. So, I'll probably just go through and name my first. Uh, I think my only two characters that I've actually met was one named Aussie. Uh, which for those of you out there that may not know what that is, which is pretty much all of you, Aussie ASI is, according to Hindu lore, the first weapon ever made. Uh, it was a sword. That's the name of my character. And he is something called a dark blade, a black blade. Um, Magus? Magus. Yeah, Magus. Maguses are basically um, fighter wizards. Yeah, they're, they're fighter wizards. They The singular is Magus. The plural is Magi. Is that how, how it goes? There is no maguses. There are no maguses. But I like maguses. Okay. Um, the magi are fighter wizards. They they attack with weapons and they use magic. But the blade is especially you uh, different in that they can cast touch spells through their weapon, which is pretty much their main their main mode of dealing damage. Is that? And they also have their weapons are also very unique in that they are sentient. They are intelligent weapons that speak and have a mind of their own. So this particular character, I made the whole story of basically his son uh, passed away shortly after he had made a bad deal with a devil, almost like a demon basically, but not a demon, a different race. And he used some evil voodoo magic of some sort that I don't really describe. 
to put his son's soul into the weapon to make sure he doesn't go to hell. And that was the whole point of the character is he just kind of walked around adventuring and slaying monsters with his son's soul in his weapon. Now, I remember how you played this. Your son in the weapon was super stoked about this. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, yeah, Dad, we're going to go adventuring. We're going to go kill some bad guys. And I'm super hyped. And he was always very excited. You know, it was such a sad story and you put such a good spin on it. It was just this, like a really happy kid that was just like, yeah, I'm going to go adventure with my dad. And it was really great when people were like when I first introduced the character all the time. And I was always like, oh, yeah, Mossy. And Aussie was like, you know, kind of chip on the shoulder, kind of like jackass kind of character. So it was like, yeah, whatever, I'm, Aussie. I'm here to fucking kill things. I don't give a fuck about you. And all of a sudden, you hear this little kid pop up. Yeah, me and my dad, we're going to go adventure to kill some guys. Oh, it's really fun to meet you. I hope we all have a really good time, everybody. And her, what the fuck? Who said that? <laughs> I'm completely covered in blood now. This is awesome. <laughs> oh, man. I remember that time you, you totally tricked uh, your character, tricked my, my son's sword into believing a lady was a demon because he oh, had a. Yeah, yeah. Sword. When you guys yeah. didn't want to kill the demon, yeah. when you guys yeah. didn't want to kill her, you were all like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. And I'm like, I'm like, fine. That's a demon. <laughs> Let me roll my bluff check. And the the uh, the whole thing of the demon thing is my son doesn't like demons. That was the that was the story, and so he kind of like flipped out and was like, "Well, I must kill the demon!" And like I just forced my character to swing attack her. And the moment he did it, he realized like she wasn't actually a demon; she was a witch. And he was like, "Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. I made a mistake." Yep. Now I remember the look on my character's face, like, "Oh yeah, oops." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your character's like, "Whoa, I didn't expect that to happen. That was neat." Well, that was my bard with the really high bluff and the really high diplomacy. My my Kitsune bard. Yeah. She was an interesting character. She 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 was the one that was a shapeshifter. Yes, that's right. We uh, I I went on a number of adventures with her. My my um. Now, that particular game was in the Pathfinder Society organized play campaign where you play – let's see if I can describe this. You play – so in a home game, you play regularly. You sit down with your friends and you play a game. And then the next week you play the same, next you, the next week or month or whenever you play, you play your character and the story goes on. But Pathfinder Society is a little different. Pathfinder Society, you play pre-written games. You go to a game store or a convention and – you play your character in that adventure, and then every time you play three, you go up in level. And that's how we were playing Pathfinder together. Yes. Did you like how that worked out? How we basically got to play whenever we were free? We didn't have to make commitments to playing all the time? I love society play. I, I would like to try to get back into it if I can find the time. It's a great thing about society, because you can go back in and play Aussie and just it doesn't matter that you haven't played in a year or two years or how long it has been. You can just jump right back in. No, it's not even affect things at all, which is great. I like that part about it. I just played it a couple weeks ago on a Saturday. I went and played and it's the first time I'd played in a long time. I made a new character. I made a um, fetchling. And for the people listening, I that play PFS. I know that fetchlings aren't normally legal, but I have a boon to play a <laughs> fetchling that I got at a convention. Um, I played a fetchling shadow oracle came up with this backstory where he was tortured by a dark god but 
serves the light god. So he's a neutral good shadow oracle who has all these like evil like powers, but he's a very good, very supporting character. And I played That's him. Cool. Now, when you play with me, you have to do you have to put up with voices because all my characters have a voice. So this character was Mino Shadowheart, and when you met him, he would be like, "Hello, hi, it's nice to meet all of you today. I am looking forward to serving the power of love." <laughs> That's a new one. That's a voice I haven't heard you use before. Well, Minos is, you know, he he's a lost soul that's been through a lot, but I I work really hard to to make sure that everybody is happy and we can all work together to serve to serve the greater good. Should do the voice of my favorite character of yours, the the Von Wrestler. Well, you're talking about Gran? My <laughs> I, my dwarven wrestler. You know, please excuse accent. I was raised by gnomes. <laughs> That's one of the things that's really fun to me about running games and playing games is getting to do different voices. And I like to I have another character where I have my my executioner, Glar, who is a who is a witch, six foot five, 250 pound witch, <laughs> the half orc, who has a little friend named Riddy Whipple, a fairy dragon who rides around on his shoulder and is all about just just supporting him. I serve freedom. I am here to serve the freedom today and make sure that you are all free to make your own choices democracy <laughs> for all yeah legalize flayleaf <laughs> yeah flayleaf the the analog for marijuana and marijuana the obviously yeah um speaking of voices and you know doing different like voices for characters uh the other character i made her name yes i played a female her name was uh luxuria oh god you really good oh my god ah yeah. yeah, tell it, tell it. Oh, it's so it, don't so get a, too gross. I won't get too gross. So <laughs> she's a cleric, not a normal cleric, not a normal cleric at all. One of the gods in the Pathfinder uh, mythos is Calistria. Uh, Calistria, yes. She's the goddess of pleasure. I, I think that's about it. Like pleasure, just, lust, just general lust, pleasure. Lust and revenge. Is it Lesson Revenge? There's Less another one. I think there's a third one, but Lesson Revenge are the two that you can basically remember the most. Yeah. Um, and the the clergy of her temples are all female, and they're all prostitutes, holy prostitutes. And when I heard about this, I was like, "Yup, yup, 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 yup." Uh, you can all see a trend from my from my previous character. Also, I I think I have a thing with prostitutes. Don't know why. I'm just realizing this now. Maybe go Talk see a about therapist the holy about this. Tell the story. Get it. Pull the bandaid off. So every cleric has to have a holy symbol to do their spells. Her holy symbol is a holy birthmark that is on her crotch. So every time she goes to channel energy, which is very often because she's a healing cleric, her skirt flies up and she displays her holy symbol because that's the rules of the game. You have to display your holy symbol when you channel energy and do any other clericy spells this is a character that we have played at tables with children on the table yeah but i didn't I, we didn't put her mark there yeah we, you were you were you were good you were you were good it I was, was like oh her symbols on her belly button i think is what I. <laughs> yeah did. yeah um so that was fun uh doing female voices i think i think i was more like oh hi everybody i, I don't know I can't do it very well. I'd be very sensual. My and, female voices just sound my my voice with the little softer lilt to it. So I just talk a little softer. I don't think it. Wait. Yeah. You, I've, I've seen you do female characters. Um, Aliki was a female Aliki character. Was a female my character. bard was a yeah, female yeah. character. 
I I so your favorite voice was your favorite voice was the wrestler. I really like. Just, I'm von Wrestler. Just oh my gosh, over. I am Vessler. You are what? I am Vessler. Oh, you're a wrestler. That is what I said. <laughs> Just the Russian accent. It's at a convention. I jumped onto a table to play him, and I jumped on in character i didn't talk first i just went oh i am playing grain today i am vessler and uh one uh, at the end of the game somebody goes so what part of europe are you from <laughs> yeah and i'm like literally. i literally had to be like oh, i am not i mean i am not i had to like get out of the voice because i've been talking in it for so long <laughs> That was in the days when I was drinking, so I was drinking at the convention, so it was really hard to get out of the accent. Oh, I, I imagine. If, if you, if you have, don't do an accent late at night while drinking, because you will wake up and be stuck in that accent. Really? Don't do it. Yeah. You will, you will wake up the next day, and you won't even notice until someone goes like, why are you talking funny? Why are you talking so weird? Yeah. I should add one more thing about my, my prostitute cleric that is very important that will send a lot of people through a crazy tailspin. She was not just a normal prostitute. She was actually a virgin prostitute. Oh, yeah. That was important. Yep. yep. She never actually had sex with anyone. And now a lot of people are probably extremely confused as to how this could possibly work. Um, the whole thing with Kalistra is she's very much about the, the act of being lustful, but not about... That was the, how you interpreted it. No, that's that's the book. That's, oh, yeah? It was about more her. about being lustful, but not necessarily the act. Yeah, like the thing actually, like, I guess there's like a scripture that says, uh, love the food, not the chef. So uh, love the feelings, basically, but don't like get in, be in love with the act of it all. Um, so when you make a character, you really dig into the lore to make the character right in the world. I really like storytelling. <laughs> So now I tried I remember, to get into it. I remember your character backgrounds were pages. <laughs> I think hers was 10 pages long. Yeah, yeah, 10 pages long. And just, you were just, just telling me the other day that you get you get writer's block and you can't write and you just – but when you're doing a character background for an RPG, that's the thing. When you're doing a character background for an RPG, it's just like – it just flows, right? Yeah, once you get an idea going, you just can't stop. You get – you just build and you keep on. Um so the reason why she uses the virgin is basically I'm not going to get into the giant 10 page. Yeah, don't get into the giant 10 page background. Goddess basically is like, you are going to be my instrument of of spreading lust. Men will come to you like they do normal prostitutes, but you will not sleep with them. You will, I don't know, knock them out, incapacitate them, put them to sleep, something. Make sure that they they're, they're no longer awake. And I will whisper sweet dreams into their heads of a beautiful act happening. But nothing ever actually happened. And so they walk away like, yeah, I totally had a great time. Why do I still feel so unfulfilled? And the lust just continues to build in them. So I want to bring up another game. I want to bring up a game you probably haven't heard of. Um, and people who play tabletop RPGs will listen to this will probably groan. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite games of all time is a game called Riffs. You ever heard of this? I've heard the name, but that's about it. Now... Rifts is a game made by Palladium RPG. It's bit now I'll, I'll tell you the premise and you're going to be really excited. So the premise is it's based way into the future and it's post-apocalyptic. And the oh. entire idea is that one day all these giant rifts open all over the United States and the rest of the world, all these giant rifts open and just every dimension poured into earth. 
And what? it was like a world ending event. It was it, it, it created the apocalypse. Some areas so were completely cool. wiped out and others were um, transformed. To give you an idea, one of the rifts was the St. Louis Arch. Oh, okay. So a giant portal opened the St. Louis Arch and then just giant demons as big as the St. Louis Arch came out. Oh, that's really cool. Now, the reason why a lot of people have problems with rifts that they don't like the Palladium system is because it's not a balanced system. Um, oh, it is. If you just if you just go to run a game and you tell the characters, tell the players, play whatever you want, you can end up with a guy wearing a power suit who's basically indestructible next to a scientist who could die with one hit. Because of all the different rifts and all the different... Oh, because of all the different options in the game. You can basically play anything in this game, but the base classes, there's a class called a Glitter Boy, which is a guy in a basically an indestructible power suit. There's another character called a juicer, which are steroid enhanced super soldiers. And they're they're really, really powerful characters. But can, there's can also I play as a glitter boy and basically be like he's a space marine from Warhammer 40K. Um, a glitter boy would kick a space marine's ass. No bullshit. Uh, it's a giant indestructible power suit. Uh, that's what uh, you don't know. Warhammer 40K. No, I don't. But yeah. It's, I'm going to have to question. You, you can question. I don't know Warhammer 40, 40K. When I think of Space Marines, I think of StarCraft. No, no. The, the, the Space Marines of Warhammer 40K make the Space Marines of StarCraft look like children at play. But in the same game, you can play a normal soldier or you could play a scientist. So if your whole party makes characters, it could end up being like really unbalanced where one character does all the fighting and the other characters don't get to do anything. Or they, or they just in die. certain specific circumstances. Yeah. So yeah. to make the game fun, the GM has to be aware of that and plan a game around it where they, you know, everyone kind of agrees on what they're going to play. And if someone plays a character like a scientist, the story has to call for them to be in non-combat roles. If someone plays a glitter boy, they will put their suit on and do their thing. And they'll basically be the combat person while other people do other stuff. Or other everyone stuff, in the yeah. party makes equally powered characters. Like you end up with a whole group of Glitter Boys. or <laughs> And it's sort of like Voltron. That makes where sense. Where everybody okay. has their own suit of power armor. That's sick. I can see why that would annoy people. Have they like thought of possible balancing it? No. Or is there really no, no way to balance it? The game's been around a long time. It's huge. There's hundreds of books. Um and it's still the same system, and there's and it's a really kludgy, convoluted, complicated system that's just gotten deeper and deeper and deeper over the years. But it's a great game if you come up with a good story and you can present a really good post-apocalyptic story with that game. The same company made the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles role-playing game. Wait, there's... I, what? I didn't yeah. even know that existed. Yeah, you can play any kind of mutant animal. They also made a great game called Ninjas and Super Spies, which was my first game I got into that wasn't Dungeons and Dragons. We actually played in the town of Hemet, California. Really? In the current day. Yeah. As part of a spy organization that was in one of the that live was in a base in one of the mountains. We were like G.I. Joe. So you guys like really, really, really role played. <laughs> Uh, it was cool. It was it was neat to be in this spy organization and have it be like G.I. Joe and you're in this like mountain base and you're sent out on missions. And we all knew the territory so we could say where they could tell us where we were going and we would know how to get there. Were, were you guys in a secret plot to shut down the uh, the Scientologists? Was that what it was? That was before I was really aware of the Scientologists. 
Uh, the, you know, okay. the fact that we actually have a Cobra base in town. <laughs> For those of you out there, those like, of you who don't know and are yeah. confused, <laughs> the, the main headquarters of Scientology is in the town I live in. Yeah, you can sometimes, apparently people have said you can see um, Tom Cruise fly in on his private jet. That's insane. Moving on back to tabletop. Art. So we're we're about out of time. Oh, no. We had so much fun. Um, now, I'm I'm really sorry that you um, you're still stuck in Sweden after next week. How's the weather out there? Sweden's really nice, actually, because, you know, uh, it's I, it's not winter over there or summer. I'm, yeah. So you don't know anything about Sweden, do you? No clue. Yeah, neither do I. <laughs> Is spring there though? I don't know. Anyone from Sweden on the call uh, that that follows us, maybe tell me what the week. And I'll I'll make a joke about that. Yeah, for the for for the people who are new to our game, Anthony is calling from a different place. Since Michael's not here, I'm going to break the illusion. Anthony is actually in Orange County, California. He is not in some exotic location, but we come up with an exotic location for him every week. Sweden is really exotic. They eat lutefisk there. Sweden is exotic. There's lutefisk in in America. They also eat rotten shark there, don't they? I don't it's know. Like, or is that Finland? That's probably Asia. I, I bet that's Asia. I bet people do that in Asia. This just in all countries. <laughs> yeah, seriously, come on. Uh, the United States, did you not hear what was at the OC Fair? They had uh, they had waffles with fried chicken baked into them. I, I, I actually just realized something. This is the vegetarian cast. We should have called it that at the beginning. Because <laughs> we don't have our meat-eating Michael. That should be the title. Vegetarian I think that should be his new tea. nickname is Mediating Michael. Mediating Michael. And Hindu Anthony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Vegetarians talk about tabletop RB. So we're we're recording this episode and then immediately after this episode, we're recording another episode because next week I'm going to be away for a week. Be intense. So um, do you have anything else to share before we close off? Um. That I really actually want to try to get back into tabletop RPGs. I need to talk to you about possibly go, finding a time to go with you though, too. Or I come out to Orange PFS. County and do something out there. Yeah, go to PFS. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it would be great. I, I miss it a lot. I want to go to a convention. I, it's been a long time. I have never been to a convention at all. Not a single convention of any kind. In um At the end of September, we're going to have a special guest. We're having um Eric Britton, the... um event coordinator for Pathfinder Society in Southern California. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about organizing these things, and it'll be a much less chaotic episode than today. Anthony and I really don't know what, our doing, when, what we're doing when it comes to running without Michael. You assume that. What if Michael doesn't show up then either? That is true. They, well, hopefully we'll get better <laughs> at it by then. <laughs> we'll be extra fucked. But I think that's all for today. So we had a nice little talk. We talked about role-playing games and different games we played. We talked about Pathfinder, the Serenity role-playing game, Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Um, I went into we, – we both went into our characters and talked about different stories and things we like and how we got into playing these really, really nerdy games. We and, learned about uh, Anthony's secret um, desire to be a prostitute apparently. Yeah, Anthony's secret <laughs> desire to sell his body. Um, remember the the appropriate the appropriate term is sex worker. That's the that's the non-offensive term. Prostitute offensive? Apparent. Well, you know, everything becomes offensive over a while. We gotta try to stick to the what the current thing is. But yeah, it's sex worker. I don't know. I, I don't know. to any sex workers yeah. in this podcast. I did not mean to offend you. So um, 
this has um, been a really good show. And thank you for listening to Nerd Podcast Radio. This was Super Vegan Brian and Hindu Anthony. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Show. Will you be? 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 Will